Thank you, Jasmine Mercury. What a beautiful song and message. And what a wonderful young lady Jasmine is ever since I've known her. We're so glad that Jasmine and her family all are a part of the Rosewood congregation. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Jephthah was a leader in Israel. More specifically, he is referred to as one of the judges. A judge who led Israel in the 1100s B.C. His story is told in Judges chapter 11 and 12. Judges 11 and 12. And this is my last message in this brief seven-part series. Jephthah ended up having to go to war against the people of Ammon, A-M-M-O-N. In so doing, he made a vow, a vow to God, which, was, which is recorded in Judges 11, verses 30 and 31, which say, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you give me victory, if you, that is God, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Later in the story, we discover that the first thing which came out of his home when he got home from the battle was his one and only child, a daughter. A daughter. On account of the vow, did Jephthah kill his daughter? Did Jephthah sacrifice his daughter? The title of this message is, in fact, Did Jephthah Kill His Daughter and More? When I say and more, it's, it just refers to the fact that I've got more truth to communicate with you, which I want to get to first before answering that question of did Jephthah sacrifice his daughter, okay? And the first truth, the first truth I want to direct your attention to today is this. Be encouraged because the Lord is able to give you and me victory over our problems and enemies. That's right. This truth came to my mind and comes to my mind today from verses 32 and 33, living, uh, reading from the New Living Translation. It says, So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Eror to an area near Minath, and as far away as Abel Karamim. In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. The problem and the enemy which Jephthah and the Israelites faced were the armies of Ammon, a group of people who lived just east of the Jordan River and east of the Dead Sea. Jephthah had tried to negotiate a peace settlement with the Ammonites, but unfortunately their leader insisted on war. 
Jephthah led the people of Israel in war against the Ammonites. And then verse 32 says, So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord, the Lord gave him victory. This truth inspires me to say, be encouraged, because the Lord is able to give you and me victory over our problems and enemies, whatever they might be. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord himself will fight for you. The Lord himself will fight for you. Stay calm, it says. And Joshua 23, verse 10 declares, For the Lord your God fights for you just as he has promised. When Nehemiah and the people of God were rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, they faced a lot of opposition and enemies, people who didn't want them to rebuild the broken wall. They had to be ready. The people of God had to be ready not only to build, but also to battle. Nehemiah 4, verse 20 says, When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. My friends, in the Bible, we see how God helped his people throughout the ages at different times and in different places. For Jephthah, the problem and uh, the, the enemies were the Ammonites who insisted on war. Who? Who or what are the Ammonites in your life or in mine? For some of you, the problem or the, the enemy has been COVID-19. Obviously, it's been the enemy worldwide for about a year. In fact, uh, as an, an historical note, it was a year ago today, it was a year ago today that we held our last service before we at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene According to the government requests, uh, we had to stop holding the regular services because of the COVID-19 burden and, and concern. So for some, obviously the problem has been and is the enemy of COVID-19. We thank the Lord for the progress that we have seen, by the way, in the lives of several families in our church or associated with our church and I want to ask us to continue to pray for those dear folks on our prayer list. For others of you, your enemy, your enemy has been cancer or some other illness. Some of you have been battling, battling loneliness and depression. And others, others are battling alcoholism and drug addiction. And some might be battling pornography, and other vices. There are those who have wrestled with, with finding a suitable and an affordable place to live. Those of us who live here in greater Toronto area, 
know how expensive rents are and how expensive any home is to buy. Some of our viewers who live outside of Toronto and in other locations, hopefully uh, the uh, homes are not as expensive as they are in the Toronto area. Some of you are battling grief. Your enemy has been grief. The pain is real. You have experienced the death of a loved one in recent weeks or months. And your loss and pain is real. It is serious. And it is very, very painful. Others of you are living with family conflict. Sometimes caused by a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife or some other person, and the problem is real, isn't it? I want to remind you, I want to remind all of us of Psalm 46.1, which declares, God, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Amen? I want to remind you of Psalm 62, the second part of verse 7 and verse 8, where it says, He, the Lord, is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. All my people trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. Be encouraged. Because the Lord is able to give you and me victory over our problems and enemies. Is there an amen in the house? Amen. Amen indeed. There's a second truth I want to bring to your attention. And it is this. Number two. Why don't you read it with me from your screen. Don't get upset over unnecessary and ridiculous matters. Now here's a little definition of ridiculous. Extremely silly, unreasonable, absurd, preposterous. This truth of uh, don't get upset over unnecessary and ridiculous matters came to my mind when I started to read Judges chapter 12. Look at it with me. Judges chapter 12, the first four verses. Here's what it says. Then the people of Ephraim. The people of Ephraim mobilized an army and crossed over the Jordan River to Zaphon. They sent the message to Jephthah. Why didn't you call for us to help you fight against the Ammonites? We are going to burn down your house with you in it. Jephthah replied, I summoned you at the beginning of the dispute, but you refused to come. You failed to help us in our struggle against Ammon. So when I realized you weren't coming, I risked my life and went to battle without you, and the Lord gave me victory over the Ammonites, so why have you now come to fight me? Why have you now come to fight me? Look at the 
crazy thing which happened soon after the war against the Ammonites. That, that's what happened. We just read about it. Think about it. The people of Ephraim, who didn't live too far away, got upset with Jephthah because he didn't ask for their help in the war against the Ammonites. Or somehow they didn't think he asked. Uh, no, notice the message they sent to Jephthah recorded in verse 1. Notice it. They said, why didn't you call for us to help you fight against the Ammonites? We are going to burn down your house with you in it. What? What? That's crazy thinking. Don't you think? Hello? Right? The people of Ephraim, well, listen to this. The people of Ephraim were another Jewish tribe. You would have thought that they would have sent a message to Jephthah who was leading another group of Jewish people. You would have thought they would have sent a message saying, hey, congratulations, congratulations, Jep, for being victorious over the Ammonites. You tried to negotiate with them. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't settle. You had no choice but to go to war. And you won. Praise God. Congratulations. That's what you would have thought they would have said to Jephthah and his people. Instead, they send a message complaining, whining, whining as to why Jephthah didn't ask for their help and saying such stupid things. Never mind stupid, terrible things like, we are going to burn down your house with you in it. You know, think about it. Sometimes when you think family and friends, in a sense, the Ephraimites were part of the larger family. Sometimes when you think family and friends would be the first to rejoice with you, sometimes instead of rejoicing with you, they cause you more pain. Isn't that true? Bring your family pleasure instead of pain. Yes, bring your family pleasure instead of pain. Young people, husbands, wives, children, are you bringing your family pleasure or are you bringing them more pain? Which is it? Which is it? Think about it. The people of Ephraim got upset over unnecessary and ridiculous matters. Oh, why didn't you let us come and fight with you, you know? Oh, poor us. Unfortunately, a lot of us too often get upset. Come on now, stick with me. A lot of us too often get upset over unnecessary 
and ridiculous matters. And my wife is probably thinking, that goes for my husband too. Right? Sometimes, sometimes in a family, one person or another might say something like this. One person or another in a family might say, oh, oh, he, he, he or she, he or she forgot my birthday. He or she forgot my birthday. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to talk to him or her for another three months. Huh. Really? Don't you think you have forgotten plenty of things? Huh? Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. Other times in a family situation, someone might say, Oh, man, you leave, you leave your shoes all over the place. You leave your shoes all over the place. Oh, really? What about when you leave, you leave your, your socks and your underwear where they shouldn't be? Huh? Don't get so upset over unnecessary and ridiculous things. A few days ago, I was picking up some groceries. I was picking up some groceries, and while in the store, one, one dear lady accidentally, I saw it happen, accidentally walked in front of this other lady who got so upset. She got so upset because this woman walked in front of her. She got so upset for no reason at all. No reason at all. It was ridiculous. I thought, why is this lady getting so angry? And uh, at first I thought I was going to have to be a referee. Fortunately, the lady who accidentally walked in front of her walked away and, and there was no fight and I didn't have to be a referee, which, which was nice. A, a few days ago, I was driving on Highway 401 and traffic was heavy. Those of you who live in smaller towns, maybe don't see heavy traffic very often, come to Toronto during rush hour and you'll get blessed by heavy traffic, okay? But anyway, so I was driving on Highway 401 and the traffic was heavy. I was in the second lane from the right and uh, I put my signal on to get into the far right lane because I was going to have, the, have to exit soon. I was planning this. It was, I planned it well in advance. It wasn't like just the last moment thing. And when I, when I put the right signal on, I slowed down. I, I slowed down maybe only about, I don't know, three to five kilometers. So I put on my signal, slowed down just a wee bit, which really was no big deal. It's no big deal. And as, as I looked, well, I slowed down as I looked for an opportunity to move into the right lane. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, I noticed the driver in my rear view mirror shaking his fist. You know, he was shaking his fist at me and yelling and yelling as if I had done a terrible crime. It's like, yeah, I, I could see him doing that. And there was no one else in the car with him. So it wasn't like he was angry at his wife or son or daughter, you know. I figured it, it was all aimed at me just because I slowed down a little bit and put my signal on. Whoop-dee-doo! -de 
You know, uh, I, I just notice people getting upset over unnecessary and ridiculous matters, e even in the church, by the way, even in the church. Uh, a, a few months ago, several months ago, someone complained about the fact that when any of us came to the pulpit, we weren't wearing a mask. Well, initially we were, we do wear masks in the sanctuary, but initially when we were coming, we thought, okay, we'll take off the mask before we come to the pulpit. But then we got some complaints, well, you're not wearing masks. So then I told everyone involved in our services, I said, okay, please, when you go to the pulpit or on the platform, please go first with your mask so that people can see you take off your mask. That way they know that you are wearing a mask. So I thought, okay, that's good. You know, we'll do that. Then a few weeks ago, uh, I got word, I got word that a viewer, I have no idea who it is, by the way, or how many viewers, but anyway, I got word that someone was bothered by the fact that when someone came to the pulpit, they put their mask on the ledge under the pulpit here. They put, you know, we have a little, little ledge under the pulpit. It's like a little, uh, that's a ledge, let's say, okay? So, so someone complained about the fact that when we, some folks come up, they put their mask underneath the, the top of the pulpit on the ledge. And they didn't think that was suitable. Then another week, another week, someone was bothered by the fact that when a person came to the pulpit, they put their mask on the pulpit. They put their mask on the pulpit. And someone wasn't happy about that. Then this week, I heard that someone was displeased that Pastor Nick puts his mask into his pocket. I put my mask in my pocket when I come up to share something or I come up to preach. And somehow, Anthony, that wasn't a good procedure either. Right? You know, so I have no, I have no idea who or how many people are constantly concerned about where we put our masks. However, I have a solution. For those of you who are really tied up with this idea, I have a solution. If you are so concerned about where we put our masks, tell me, tell me, okay? We will find you. We will find you a seat up in the rafters here, okay? We'll find you a seat up in the rafters. It's only about 30 feet up there. And every time, and every time someone comes to the pulpit, you can release a fishing line. You can release a fishing line from 30 feet up there. You can release the fishing line or the fishing wire with a hook. With a hook. And we will place our mask on the hook. And then we'll say, Beam her up, Scotty. All right? Beam her up. And you can pull, okay? You can have the privilege of pulling the mask up to the ceiling. And then when we need it again, we'll signal you and you can bring that mask down again. The problem, the problem with that solution, however, is someone will surely say, Pastor Nick, you will need a separate hook for each mask. Isn't that right? 
That's what some of you will say. Therefore, therefore, we would, we would have to put ten of you, ten of you up in the rafters, but we really can't do that because according to government regulations, we can only have up to ten people in the building, and most of that ten is comprised of the worship team and the technicians and the camera operators. So, I'm stuck again. Yeah. No wonder I'm getting gray hair. You know? My friends, whether it is at home, at work, at school, in the grocery store, at the gas station, uh, 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 on the roads, uh, or at church, don't, don't get so tied, tied up and upset over unnecessary and ridiculous matters. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. The people of Ephraim got upset with Jephthah because they thought he didn't invite them to go to war against the Ammonites. They should have been happy not to go to war. That's crazy thinking. The Ephraimites then decided to go to war against Jephthah and his people. Do you know what happened? Do you know what happened when the Ephraimites decided to go to war against Jephthah and his people? Judges chapter 12, verse 6 tells us the answer. It tells us what happened. Here is what happened. Quote, in all, 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. 42 precious, 42,000 precious people the Ephraimites alone lost their lives because of the stupidity of their leaders. When you or I get upset over unnecessary and ridiculous matters, we can end up paying a big price. We can end up paying a big, big price. You say, what kind of a price? Well, sometimes, sometimes the relationship, sometimes the big price is a relationship is broken. Over nonsense stuff, sometimes a relationship is broken. Or someone loses confidence in you and will no longer, will no longer trust you because of your crazy thinking, irresponsible thinking. Or sometimes a job is lost or a promotion is denied. Or sometimes someone even loses their life. How? Why? Not long ago, a CTV news report said this. It said, a 25-year-old man is dead after he was hit by a transport truck on Highway 401 Friday evening following a possible road rage, road rage incident. Getting upset over unnecessary and ridiculous matters can be very costly. Does that make sense? All right.
All right. We come now to this third truth, which is of some interest to some of you especially. Number three, did Jephthah kill his daughter? Please look at uh, Judges 11, verse 34. Judges 11, verse 34, where it says, When Jephthah returned home to Nizpah, to Mizpah, this is after the war, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. Verse 36, and she said, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first let me do this one thing. Let me go and roam in the hills and weep with my friends for two months because I will die a virgin. You may go, Jephthah said, and he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. When she returned home, her father kept the vow he had made and she died a virgin. So it has become a custom in Israel for young Israelite women to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. All right. When you first read this, you probably think that Jephthah must have sacrificed his daughter to keep his vow to God that whatever came out of his house to meet him after his victory over the Ammonites he would sacrifice it or him or her as a burnt offering. Stick with me. For hundreds of years, the Jewish rabbis and Jewish scholars interpreted the story as one in which Jephthah actually did sacrifice his daughter. Then, after several hundred years, the Jewish rabbis and scholars started to study the story more closely and many of them began to change their minds as to what really happened. I have studied the story carefully and I believe Jephthah, Jephthah did not kill, he did not sacrifice his dear daughter. And here is why. If you've got some paper and pen, I encourage you to take some notes so that sometime if you're talking with someone else, you might share these truths. All right? Here is why Pastor Nick, that's me, believes Jephthah's daughter was not sacrificed. Reason number one. The law of Moses strictly prohibited a human sacrifice. All right? The law of Moses prohibited a human sacrifice. 
When we read Judges 11, verses 12 to 28, it tells us that Jephthah had a very good knowledge of Israel's history, which suggests to me that Jephthah would have known that a human sacrifice was strictly forbidden. I believe he would have known that. Leviticus, for instance, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21 says, Do not, do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice to Moloch, for you must not bring shame on the name of your God. I am the Lord. Then in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, it basically says the same thing. And in fact, Leviticus 20, verse 2 says that if anyone, if anyone offers their children as a sacrifice, they themselves must be put to death. Although some of the pagans of that day and age practiced child sacrifice, it was an absolute no-no. It was an absolute no-no for the Jewish people, the people of God, and Jephthah would have known that. Furthermore, one of the Ten Commandments was, Thou shalt not kill. Right? So that's the first reason why I believe Jephthah did not sacrifice his daughter. Reason number two is this. No Jewish priest would have officiated would have officiated at a child sacrifice. The priests would have known that child sacrifice was totally wrong and totally forbidden. Third reason why I believe Jephthah did not sacrifice his daughter is this. Number 3. Jephthah led Israel as a judge, around 1125 to 1119 B.C., before Christ. About a hundred years later, Samuel the prophet, the prophet and judge, referred to Jephthah in a very positive way in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11. Now, I don't think Samuel would have spoken of Jephthah in a positive way if he had killed his daughter. Does that make sense to you? All right. Wow, praise God, my wife is agreeing with me today. Keep this up, honey, keep this up. All right. Miracles do happen. A fourth reason I believe Jephthah didn't sacrifice his daughter is this, number four. The Jewish law and rules allowed a person to be released from a difficult vow. Now, when they made a vow in their day, I mean, it was big time serious. It was like a legal contract, okay? I know that, and that's the way it was. However, the Jewish law and the rules of the day allowed for a person to be released or freed from a, a, from a very difficult vow. Leviticus chapter 27, verses 1 to 8, talk about this. A person needed to pay a certain amount to be released from their vow. They could pay a certain amount and they would be released from the vow. Personally, I believe that whatever Jephthah had in mind when he first made the vow, I believe he would have gladly, 
he would have gladly paid whatever amount was necessary to release him from that crazy, crazy, crazy original vow. It is possible that instead of his daughter being sacrificed, the payment perhaps included having his daughter serve in the place of worship, serve in the tabernacle the rest of her life. That is, that is what many of the scholars believe actually happened, that she ended up having to serve in the tabernacle the rest of her life. Now, if she was obligated to serve in the tabernacle the rest of her life, she would not, she would not have been allowed to get married, which meant she had to remain a virgin the rest of her life and could not have children. For a woman in their day to not have a child was a major sacrifice. It was. It was a major sacrifice. So that's reason number four. The fifth reason why I believe Jephthah did not kill his daughter, sacrifice his loved, loved one, fifth reason is this. Burnt offerings had to be male. Jephthah's child was obviously a female, a daughter. And furthermore, there were strict restrictions as to what was allowed for a burnt offering. For example, a person could not offer, could not offer his dog as a burnt offering. That was not, that was not acceptable. Here's the sixth reason. Sixth reason. The story of Jephthah tells us his daughter was mourning, that is M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, his daughter was mourning her virginity and not her upcoming death. She was mourning her virginity and not her upcoming death. In Judges 11, verse 37, the daughter says, Let me go up and roam in the hills and weep with my friends for two months because I will die a virgin. Think about it. If she was soon going to die, you would think she would be mourning her upcoming death and not her virginity. Wouldn't you? Bria, you're a smart lady. Does it make sense? Now, some of you are thinking, some of you are thinking, well, why would she be mourning her virginity? Why? Well, why, why, why was she going to remain a virgin? I mentioned it a few moments ago. Here's why. In Judges 11, verse 31, when her father made his special vow or promise to God, he said, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. What Jephthah possibly meant was he would give to the Lord whatever came out of his house to be dedicated, to be dedicated in serving God in the place of worship. If a girl was dedicated in serving the Lord in their place of worship, she would have had to remain single, as I said a few moments ago. She could not, she could not be married and therefore had to remain a virgin all her life. Why was remaining a virgin all her life something to mourn about? Because in their day and age, every woman wanted to get married 
and have babies. That was their goal. Get married and have babies. Lots of babies, just like in this country now. There should be more babies, more babies for married couples. More babies. Many women who were married but could not get pregnant used to cry out and say, God, give me a baby or let me die. Lord, give me a child or let me die. I mean, that's how serious it was for them. In today's culture, of course, there are some married women who deliberately choose not to have a child for personal reasons. In in Jephthah's days, however, over 3,000 years ago, nearly every woman wanted to have a baby, and if she or her parents chose for her to serve in the place of worship, and she could never get married and never have a child, it really was a humongous, humongous major sacrifice. And that's why the daughter, that's why the daughter went backpacking into the hills to weep for two months with her friends. Uh, The fact that her father was okay with his daughter going backpacking into the hills with her friends suggests to me that she was probably between age 16 and 20 years of age. Uh, Most of us parents, I think we can understand this, most of us parents would not feel comfortable having our daughter or or son go backpacking any earlier than that. Quite frankly, I wouldn't even want my son or daughter to go backpacking even at age 20. Some of you would disagree with that, but that's okay. All right? All right. A seventh reason why I believe Jephthah did not sacrifice his daughter is this. Number seven. After roaming the hills for two months, Jephthah's daughter returned home. Verse 39 tells us that. After roaming the hills, having her time away with the girls, uh, she returned home. Think about it. If she knew she was going to be sacrificed, killed by her father, I don't think she would have returned home. If you knew that your father was going to kill you once you got home, would you go home? I don't think so. And your pastor would say, don't go home. We'll hide you. We'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. We'll hide you anywhere, everywhere. All right. An eighth reason why I believe Jephthah did not sacrifice his daughter is this. Number eight. Jephthah is referred to as a great man of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Personally, I don't think Jephthah would have been listed as a great person of faith in Hebrews 11 if he had killed his daughter. Is it okay for me to think that? Is it okay for me to think that? Pastor Lisa? All right. Number nine reason why I don't believe Jephthah killed his daughter. Number nine, God would not have honored a vow based on a wicked practice of child sacrifice. And reason number ten, why Jephthah, I believe, did not kill or sacrifice his daughter is this. As a father and grandfather myself, 
I cannot see another father deliberately killing his child. Can you? No. Therefore, I believe Jephthah did not sacrifice his daughter. If you believe otherwise, it's okay. I still love you. Well, Jephthah, I believe, did not sacrifice his daughter. However, there is a sacrifice spoken of in our Holy Bible that you and I need to know about. God the Father sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for your sins and mine. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And Hebrews 9 verse 28 says, Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And that's you and me. And Hebrews 10.10 10 declares, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 declares, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Wow. Today, I invite you. I invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the one who was sacrificed on the cross of Calvary to take away your sins, your sins, and mine. Would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Lord, thank you for loving me. I may not understand everything about Jephthah. I may not understand everything about Jesus being sacrificed on the cross to pay the price for my sins. But by faith, by faith, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died on the cross, paid the ultimate sacrifice to pay the price for my sin. And so now I receive your forgiveness by faith. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Thank you for adopting me into your family. Thank you, Lord, for coming into my heart by your spirit. Thank you for giving to me the promise of heaven. I receive Jesus as Savior and Lord of my life. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer or prayer similar to that, the Bible says you're forgiven, you're adopted into the family, you are born again, you're spiritually born again. And I praise God that as you believe, 
that Jesus died on the cross. And as you believe that he rose victorious over death and the grave on the third day, I invite you now to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this as the one who sacrificed his life to pay the price for your sins and for mine. Reverend Dr. Lisa is going to lead us now in this beautiful, marvelous time of communion. Pastor Lisa, come.